Welcome to CooperCast, the I Stand Alone episode part two. This is your host, Al's official podcast producer, John Sachs. In this episode, Al talks about how the album came right after the first Blood, Sweat, and Tears and among the three Super Session albums and might have gotten a bit lost in the shuffle, the Albert Shuffle. Was there an official producer or was it you? It was me. Okay, so it was And I was the official producer. And then we just did the Harry Nelson episode, and here's the song One. Is that Harry's One? Yeah, I think I just did that with strings. Just strings. It was a song not called Purple Rain, but called Colored Rain. That was a traffic song. Ah, uh, Stevie Winwood. Yeah. I think rhythm section and horns. Okay. You know, I I I still was horny. Yeah. <laughs> after buds went in tears, so. Sure. There was stuff like that, and there was stuff I had probably written for buds went in tears. Song they, called um, "I Can Love a Woman." That was a, a full, full compliment. Blue Moon of Kentucky, you generally, in my opinion, have tended to the R&B side of rock. Blue Moon of Kentucky is more on the country side of rock, isn't it? Yeah, that's sort of Elvisy. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, before Horns, there was Elvis. Right. I was a big fan. Toehold. That's a, a R&B song originally done by um, Johnny Taylor. Hmm. And you know these are you know this is all the music I listen to right now for you. That's a song I wrote. It's kind of folky. Yeah. The last song is called uh, A Song and Dance for the Unborn Frightened Child. I probably was too lazy to write that on the box. That's an original? Yes. Sounds like an Al Cooper song. Yeah. The record company was fronting the money for the 14-piece uh, string section and the horns and the whole deal. But I think it sort of recognized that they're going to then subtract that upfront cost any money that you might ever get. Yes. So when doing so... And make sure you use the word might. Yeah. <laughs> might ever get. So when you're uh, s deciding on the instrumentation and the people, was it going, did it cross your mind like, well, if I bring in the string section, that's going to really... Uh, no, I'd been around long enough to know that um, it takes a long time to recoup uh, the expenses of making a record. So your only thought was making a great record. Yes. What what the fact that you made I didn't more. expect uh, I I never expected to uh make money from records. And you're correct in that assumption? Um and then came Leonard Skinner. Right. Right. But you were a producer then. Yeah. In fact, you were now one of the guys stealing the money from the band instead of the band being stolen money from. Well, I was also on the record company. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things involved. But but you wouldn't want to steal from them. Okay. Because they were 
dangerous. <laughs> I don't mean steal. I just mean the fact that uh, you were taking a percentage, like an like an yes. agent or whatever. Yeah. So, but but when, it was my it was my record company as well. Right. So, there you are at Columbia, and uh, there were nice enough to give you whatever budget you wanted to make the album that you wanted with I Stand Alone, but you just were not thinking about saving money. You were just thinking about making a great record. Right. Which is the right way to approach it if you can. Well, I mean, their stance was uh, they did well with the Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, and it was a, a band's first album. Right. And then they were able to keep the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, with me exiting, right, and so they weren't taking a as big a risk right. as somebody else would on their first album, right. And I and also I had uh, a Superstition, which was, you know, a top twenty record. Yep. yep. So, so they were they were in the clear. Mm. Did you want? think, expect that I Stand Alone would have the same level of success at Blood, Sweat, and Tears' well, first you album? Well, you always hope for something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you uh, uh, for instance, Super Session? Yeah. I never thought that would sell. Right. And that was maybe to this day the biggest record of my, you know, alleged solo career. Right. It was also the the first record that I ever produced for uh, Columbia. Right. So, you know, I, I think all of us thought, well, I'll go out and sell a few copies and uh, hopefully it'll make the money back. But that album only took uh, two nights to record. So, and there were uh, um, four people in the band. Right. Each night. Right. So, you know, didn't cost much. Made a lot of money. It's like an indie movie, if you can make a movie with a yeah, few people. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, was goes. A, it was an indie movie, except they paid the short money to produce it. Anything else about um, the first album? The first song? Well, I mean, I was I was glad to have that behind me hmm. and I was happy with the album and uh, and it, it sold pretty well considering there were no hit hits on it hmm. and um, there you go there was Super Session and then I Stand Alone and then a live Super Session okay and then another live super session, uh, um, uh, Fillmore East and Fillmore West. And those did well and made the charts. Okay. So, you know, I stand alone. What was that? Aside from everything else Columbia had going on, you yourself was supplying work that tended to overwhelm I Stand Alone in, in the form of the, the various super session albums. Yeah, and and of course they were uh, much less expensive. No string players, no horn players. 
This has been Coopercast, the I Stand Alone episode part two, brought to you by No Hit Hits. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or just about any podcast distributor. And tell your friends.